Suzanne Fair, not yeah. Susie today. <laughs> I can be on, Susie. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting all these mixed signals from you, right. but you know, Susie or Suzanne, I'll probably call you Susie throughout the conversation. Okay, no problem. Um, I'm so excited that you're here. The uh, owner of Real Ideal Coaching. Um, and I just want to share with everybody before you know we dive into the conversation, I, I want to be very candid that I cannot wait to be able to pick your brain okay. for a few reasons, because I know you have 20 plus years of experience in leadership coaching, personal development, HR consulting, and so many different things. And you know, it's been cool. It's, it's been fun for me to see you and I have met in person only a handful of times. I think we've had a couple cups of coffee and then we did the workshop, which I'll, I'll dive into you yeah. know, a little bit, but there's a few people, there's, there's people in life that you interact with that you're just instantly comfortable with. Um, and you have that about you. And I think that a lot of that's probably from your experience in coaching and, you know, personal development and things like that. And, and clearly, you know, that, that you also practice what you preach is very, very apparent. But yeah. I've been so impressed with the way that you make people feel comfortable and can open up. And I mean, even when we've had a few like work type phone calls, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just on the phone with Susie for 20 minutes because you're just that type of person that, uh, that, that people can be authentic around. Um, and I think that that's so valuable and so important. And so for anybody listening, full disclosure, I feel selfishly excited that I get, you know, I don't have to pay you for <laughs> however long you're going to let me sit and, nice. sit and pick your brain. <laughs> Selfish endeavors. Um, but I think, you know, you also possess clearly really, really unique skill sets and, and a really unique talent. Um, the more that I've been in the entrepreneur world and leadership roles and things like that, I've realized how complicated, you know, leadership positions yes. <laughs> are and personal development and things like that. It's good to hear you say that because some people still don't think that. <laughs> oh no, I know everything. Yeah. I'm perfect. <laughs> right. You know, and it's easy. My, my company, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, it'll, it's going to be fun to, to get to share some of your perspectives. Before we do that though, when we were having one of those cups of coffee, you shared with me, I'll call it your origin story, but uh -huh. how real ideal coaching, you know, began. Yeah. And I want to, I want you to share that story again, specifically because when I heard it from you, it was clear that like, this is what you're meant to be doing. <laughs> yeah. And so do you mind humor yeah. me and tell me, you know, tell me what you were doing beforehand and how real ideal coaching Okay. I'll, I'll give you like a little um, summary up till that time when I started Real Ideal Coaching. I grew up in the Seattle area and my degree from the University of Washington is in communications. At the time they called it speech communication, but really what it is, it, it, interpersonal communication. So how people communicate with each other, how we communicate in groups, what happens when we're in conflict with each other, all that kind of stuff. And so I've always been really interested in people, right? And I have a story from when I was, what, for seven years when I was growing up in high school and college, I worked at a drugstore in Seattle called Bartell Drugs. Um, and I went to do like a shadowing with the HR director of this huge place. We had like 30 stores at the time. Now they have way more than that. And I think they've sold out to 
Rite Aid or one of those places. But um, I went and talked to the HR director and I told him I was really excited that I wanted to be in human resources because I wanted to work with people. And he was like, well, the only problem with human resources is that you have to work with the people. (laughs) (laughs) And he was not very encouraging. And I was like, wait, I, I really thought I would like doing this. And, you know, naturally that's kind of people talk to me and I enjoy talking to people. And so... Um, so that was kind of before I even had declared my major, I think. And then I was like, I'm going to do this anyway, because I really think that's something I want to do. Um, so kind of fast forward, I, you know, after I graduated, I worked at Microsoft for a short period of time. I worked for a Panasonic affiliate. I worked for some big companies. Um, and then I worked for a smaller company that was a game studio, um, shout out to Humongous Entertainment. They were purchased by Atari, um, And I got to experience what it was like to work in a really passionate environment with very passionate people. Um, That's also the easiest environment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was also the first time that I experienced working with an executive coach because one of our executives there was not doing well. He just, he knew his, like, knew the technical side of it very well, but the people side he wasn't very good at. Um, And so what I, I worked with the GM there and we actually ended up hiring an executive coach for this um, VP that we had. Um, And it was a, it was a huge eye opening experience for me. And it was really exciting to see how he picked up on what this guy did and how he tried to help. And then when we went back through like discussing like how the engagement had gone and what he thought about the person's potential for being, for moving into more roles or like taking on more or continuing in the role with people reporting to him and things like that. Um, and so I got a really good like snapshot of what that looked like. So that was kind of my first experience with coaching. And I thought that guy was so cool. Um, and he recommended books that I could read. And I was, I'm just a leadership geek. So I was like, this is so cool. I can like read these books and all that. Um, so then I, I met my husband through some things. I ended up moving to Colorado and, um, became a stay at home mom. I worked at a, an Emerson manufacturing facility in Boulder first. So that, then we moved to Durango and I was a stay at home mom and my husband was the main breadwinner. I wasn't working at that time. And I kind of knew when I went back to the workforce that I really wanted to do coaching. And I had always thought, you know, I'm going to do coaching. I had like identified a program I wanted to go through and everything. And then my husband's job, he was kind of miserable in his job at that time. And he decided to leave. And he's like, would you be willing to get a job so that I can like figure out what I want to do? And so over the course of a couple of years, I ended up as the HR director at Scott Brewing, which is a craft brewery here in Durango. And um, I was the first HR director they'd had in their, they'd, they'd been around 17 years at the time, which was pretty impressive because there's three owners um, and, you know, two of them didn't want to have an HR director and one of them did. And so I kind of came into the situation where it was like a little bit like I had to prove myself and I had to like go real slow because I didn't want to come in and like try to make change or do things. You know, I was walking into an environment where there was like pictures of naked ladies on the wall and there was like crass, you know, jokes being thrown around and all sorts of things. And I was kind of like, okay, this is fun. I loved it because the passion that's in the brewing industry is immense. I mean, it's it rivals the the gaming industry, which is where I was in Seattle. And I really loved that. So um, so then my husband asked me if I'd go back to work. I ended up working at Scott Brewing and um, then he left his job. And because I was able to take over the role for a while. And he got this book by Tim Ferriss called The Four Hour Work Week. And in there, there's this exercise, and it says, and I can't remember the whole thing, but it says something like, you know, 
to sit down and get out a piece of paper and write down, you know, what you want to do, what you want to be and what you want to have um, in like, I, I think it was like inter- increments of like three months, three years and 10 years or something like that. It was, it was laid out and I can't remember exactly. Um, but my husband came up to me and he's like, Hey, do you want to do this exercise with me? And I was like, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And so, you know, I had a little baby at the time. I had probably two babies at the time, um, under two, under the age of two. And, uh, and so we did this exercise and he was like, you know, go all out, say whatever you want, like think big. And, you know, and so we, then we were like, okay, one, two, three, and we're going to look at each other's. And his was like, you know, I'm going to, I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but it was something crazy. Like I'm going to fly in a Learjet and then I'm going to like drive a Ferrari or something. That wasn't what it was, but it was something along those lines, like big, you know, just crazy dream things. And mine was like, we turned over mine and it was like, I want to be a coach. I want to have a coaching business. And I want to, what was it? Be, have, and do. I want to do coaching. And he just looks at me and he's like, why aren't you a coach? And I was like, well, because I work at the brewery so that you can figure out what you want to do and this and that. And he was like, you need, you like, what do we need to do to get you there? And I said, well, I've identified this program. And I, I knew like when you're ready, like when you get a job or when we figure out finances or whatever, like I'm going to go back and do this program. And um, he was like, go figure it out. Like, we'll, we'll take the money out of savings. We'll do whatever we need to like figure it out and we'll send you through the program. He's like, you should be doing this. You know, you, you'll, you're going to be good at this and you should be doing this. And so that was followed by a whole bunch of like figuring it out. And the brewery was very, very, um, shout out to Dave Thibodeau, the, one of the owners of, of the brewery, because he was very patient with me and very helpful with me when I was so excited about becoming a coach. And I mean, he worked with me to really like, um, you know, lower my time commitment at SCA so that I could start building a business. And I didn't actually end up leaving SCA immediately. Um, he really worked with me to transition, which was really cool. Um, and I had a lot of exposure through SCA that they were um, in, in this town, that they were very willing to be supportive of where I wanted to head. I did some coaching with um, with him and it went, it went really well. I think we both really appreciated the ability to work with each other and I could challenge him on things and use my skills that I was learning to like push on him. I'd done executive coaching because I, when you're in HR, you're kind of the right hand person to executives all the time. And so you're kind of that confidant and that trustee. But when I went through coaching, this coaching program, I really learned the difference between like being an advisor to somebody or an ear for somebody to listen to and, and the capacity of being able to challenge people ask the right questions, be curious, because the the overarching idea of coaching is not that I'm there to tell you. It's not like a sports coach. It's it's actually derived from the word stagecoach, which is like getting you from here to there. Mm. And so coaching is all about like believing that you as a client have the answers inside of you. It's me here as a coach that's trying to prod them out of you or trying to challenge you on some like limiting beliefs that you have or things that are going on and, and do it in a gentle and kind and loving way, but also in a way that like brings to the surface what you know that you need to do. So, yeah. And it's so, it's so refreshing to talk to you because you can tell that, 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 that like you're meant to do this, Yeah, you know, like to (laughs) write it down and the passion is there. And I think that, you know, to be totally honest, it's, it's refreshing to, to see, to interact with somebody who's so aligned with, you know, with that. Um, I, I had Doug Miller on and we talked about aligning our lives yeah. with our core values. Absolutely. And if you do that, that in and of itself is success. And I can just, it, it 
I can feel it from you. Yeah. That, you know, you're aligned with your core values. I relate so much to it because, you know, if you were to ask me to do the same exercise, I would have written down, I want to own a marketing agency, do marketing and, yep. you know, be a marketer. One of those things that I've, I've dreamed <laughs> yeah. of literally forever since, you know, I was competing in marketing in high school and stuff. I just have, have loved yeah. it. Yeah. But you mentioned a few things in there that I now have like 100 questions. Okay. Awesome. Um, Let's I, go. That I think are, uh, because, you know, the topic of, of leadership for me is, is somewhat complicated. I think that depending on different situations, and one of the things I want to unpack and hear from you is, is this idea of passion okay. as it relates to leadership, because you've mentioned the word passion a few times now. Mm-hmm. I certainly have passion. Um, I think, well, I'm excited to hear your take on it. But to frame the conversation or the, the question, my instinct or gut is telling me that in terms of like paths to leadership, mm-hmm. there's kind of your traditional, uh, what I'll call it, you know, the guy who sells the most cars becomes the car sales manager, yep. right? Like <laughs> yeah. we're, 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 we promote our way into leadership roles True. because we were good employees, mm-hmm. because we were good at the job. Yeah. And now good individual contributors. Yes. Exactly. A lot of the time managers are like, oh, Ben does that great. Let's promote him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, are they a leader? You know, which, so where the other path, passion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people who are needing to lead because of the passion and things like that. And, and so I think it's interesting because especially y- y- even the idea of an executive coach and leadership coaching is new to me, but crystal clear the need of it now. Mm-hmm. I think so many people look at people's in people in positions of leadership, and by nature they have to project confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we have it all figured out or whatever. When in reality, leaders need help just as much as anybody else. Absolutely, and I would sometimes true, more. Yeah, yeah. I, I've probably in most cases more. Yeah. Well, a lot of people say it's lonely at the top. Um, and that's it's accurate, right? If you really are the leader of the whole organization, a lot of the time you're holding secrets or you know about things that are going on that you can't share with people because, you know, I, I always say like you can assume if you tell one person, they'll probably tell at least one person. And then you've got them telling one person. And within a company, that doesn't work if you're, you know, in the middle of an acquisition or something big that's going on. You can't um, you, you have to have hold a lot of things close to your chest. And then you're also, you're very um, responsible for a lot of lives when you go into leadership, right? When you own a business, it's your responsibility to make sure those people get paid and that kind of stuff. So if there's something that's going down or you know the bank account balance is bad, you can't just be like, oh shit, you guys, the bank account balance is really low. Like that doesn't fly, right? That's not leadership because you're not showing them the vision and, and giving them the excitement that they need in order to do their jobs. Um, that being said, I wouldn't say like you have to lie to people about everything, but, but there are things that are just not probably good to be talking about within a business sense with some of the people within the organization. Yeah. Like you have to have intentionality behind the messages you convey. Absolutely. And you know, that idea of it being lonely at the top, one of the, I I mean, I, I I relate to that in more ways than I can express, but it's not about me today, but the... I think part of what contributes to that too is is the idea that you have to make decisions that have multiple consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, thinking about, well, if I do this, 
then A, B, C, and all the dominoes D are going to fall. Will probably yep. happen. <laughs> yeah. And there's no like confidant. You know, there's there's no uh, you know battle buddy to say, hey, you know, what if we did this right. or that? There's a whole lot of leaders I think out there sitting alone in offices, early mornings, late nights, mm -hmm. weekends, feeling lonely, yeah, and trying to you know think things through. And, and so that's where like this idea of the fact that we all need help mm -hmm. and we all have room to improve excites the heck out of me because yeah. I, in fact, a, a good analogy for it, I've, I've been running, I've been running my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've been running marathon distances at least since 2019. Mm -hmm. And I just now got my first running coach. And I've been only having a running coach for three weeks, and I already can tell a difference. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I, I, people look to me for running guidance, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm out here faking it just like mm -hmm. everybody else. Similarly with leadership, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm vulnerable intentionally with my team, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to say things like, I've never done this before, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing the best I can, things like that. Yeah. But I love recognizing that even the best leaders in the world have help yeah. and have, you know, coaches and that it's actually a really good thing. Yeah. So what I was going to ask you is, assuming to way oversimplify paths to leadership, mm -hmm. this kind of idea of like best employee getting promoted or, you know, the passion trajectory, I would love to just kind of hear from you because one of the questions I have, and I, I'm, I, I hope it's not too broad, but okay. is leadership something we are or something you can learn? Like that promotion track, uh, you know, do you believe that everybody can learn to be strong leaders? That's such an interesting question. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of multifaceted for the answer there. So the first part of that is the person that's on the track that's a good individual contributor and then the leader so in that instance, like you don't just take a good individual contributor and put them into a leadership role. They have to have some sort of internal desire to want to lead, right? Because, I mean, I've known multiple engineers in my life. I've known, I mean, my husband is a chemical engineer by trade. He has his MBA. And, you know, when it, whether or not he wants to go into leadership will depend on who he's around and what company he's in and those kinds of things. But he's much happier being an individual contributor. Mm. He has a lot of really good people skills. He can do a lot of things and probably looks to others as though he'd be a really good person to be, to put into management, but he doesn't really want to do that. Right. Um, whereas somebody like you, you know, you want to own a business, you want to run a business, you want to lead people. That's, that's kind of the other tract is like, you're born that way. That being said, I do think that, if somebody has the desire, um, I believe in a growth mindset. So I believe like you can learn anything that you really want to learn. Um, where I see issues, to be honest with you, is not in whether I can be a good manager um, or even can I lead people. It's when it comes to the, to the place of what do I see within the business and can I really pull myself back to 30,000 feet to your point of, when the dominoes fall, can I see? Because what, what good leaders have is this ability for a strategic analysis of what's going on in the split second. And a lot of people don't have that. And especially some of those more methodical individual contributors, um, some engineers say, for instance, like their passion is to tinker and do things that make products better. 
But when you try to put them into a leadership position, they're their focus is narrow and they're not able to see that. And I've seen this a multitude of times in my career over HR over years is you see someone that's really good. They have a desire to be a leader. You put them in a leadership role and they can't pull themselves back to see all the dominoes falling. They can't pull themselves back to 30,000 feet. And they're so used to the doing that they can't, they can't be leading. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, um, I think you have more of a hard time. You have an easier time promoting people into a management role. And then when it goes from being a manager to actually being a leader, um, that you lose a lot of people because they, they don't have that ability. They're like, what do I do next? And you're like, but you need to come up with what you do next because that's what your role is, like the vision and like the creativity to figure things, figure things out. And I think a lot of the time, either we've trained people by not let, allowing them to make decisions right? So it's really important. I talk to my clients a lot about being really clear on who makes decisions, pushing decisions down to the people that are closest to issues and not always having, if if you're a leader that everything has to come through you, you're just shooting yourself in the foot for a later time where you do want to go, you know, run an ultra and you have nobody that can do that because you have no systems in place or no people that you trust to make decisions. It's funny that you mentioned management versus leadership (laughs) because that was like literally my next question to okay. you is <laughs> differences between management and leadership. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, I kind of touched on it a little bit. I think, um, I think a lot of people can manage people, manage processes, manage their own stuff, you know, around them. But when you put somebody in a leadership role, I think that's where you really start to talk about creating a vision and you start leading with your values, you know, you start leading in the direction you want to go. Um, and I think that leaders are just have that capacity to see a wider view. Like they're, they always have the wide angle lens on, right? They're not, they don't have that focused. They're not in macro. They're not, you know, they're not even just in normal, like photo mode. They're in like the macro version all the time. And some of what we do in coaching is we help people to broaden their perspective. So a lot of times people, I say they have blinders on and, you know, like visually I'm making like my hands on my eyes like a blinder, right? And then you can open that up um, a little bit for managers, right? And then sometimes you can open it up wider, but leaders can actually know like there's someone coming behind me, right? Sometimes because they know the business so well, they know the pitfalls, they know what's going on. So they, they can make decisions based on what they think is going on behind them. And they're usually pretty accurate if they're good leaders, right? But but working on creating your own leadership vision and knowing what your values are to drive you and then also knowing like the business that you're in is important. I always say like to be a leader, you don't even really need to know like the product that you're selling or anything. You need to have a lot of good people that work for you and you need to know like what your goals are and where you're trying to head. Um, and if you have good people working for you and, and you have good communication – those people can make you look really good as a leader, right? But part of leadership is getting out of your own way. Yeah, which is easier said than done. Totally. I, and I, I relate to it so much because, uh, you know, things at, at Ascent have evolved to the point now where, candidly, I don't know most of the the actual, like, application of, you know, I, yeah. I know the strategies behind what we do and the reasons for it and the principles and stuff like that. But if you ask me to, like, actually get my hands dirty – and do the work, I'd be in trouble. And I think a a huge part of, one of the things that I think has contributed in a huge way to our success has been exactly that idea of surrounding ourselves with 
people that are really, really good at what they do and then literally getting out of their way. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, it's sometimes, you know, makes, makes me look good and I shouldn't be the one (laughs) looking good. Like I'm, I'm the one that can, you know, provide the opportunity or whatever, but like very sincerely team behind me that's, that's making the magic happen and, and actually doing the work. So I just think, and it's, it's interesting to kind of consider the differences between leadership and management. And I love that analogy of how wide the blinders are. There's probably benefit as an organization gets bigger to having people with different levels of blinders on, I Mm -hmm. would assume you know, the wider at the top and then narrower towards the bottom. Is that a, is that a safe assumption? Like middle, kind of. middle level management, you probably want to be able to see a bit of a wider purview, but definitely not the you yeah. know, executive level. Yeah. Type it depends on the size of the company for sure. And it depends on how your organization is structured. But if, if you as a leader are communicating well and the people under you know what your vision is and what you're, com- what you're trying to communicate with them, then yeah, each manager or each department should have their own focus and have their own goals and their own things that they focus on. So if you're talking about blinders in terms of like they have blinders to maybe to the rest of the organization, they need to have like a little bit that goes in to the rest of the organization. Um, but, but generally um, – the person at the top needs to have the least amount of things blocking their view. That being said, um, Patrick Lencioni, who wrote the five dysfunctions of a team, five, I forget what the name of the book is. I think it's that five dysfunctions of a team. He has a great video that I show a lot of the time when I do work with executive teams, which is, which is talking about how the executive team is actually the most important team. And what happens is that a lot of managers will put their their departments ahead of the executive team. Mm. And it's like, if you don't know what's going on on the executive team and you're not being a good team member to those people, then what you end up doing, he says you end up fighting like bloody and unwinnable wars because what we, what we try to do is then each manager is like their protected people and they try to fight for them instead of fighting for the company. Mm. And so it, so being able to look at, those kinds of situations and saying like, yes, the manager wants to have a focus, but they also need to be very aware of what's going on in the rest of the company. And managers in larger companies need to support the other managers and directors and VPs or whatever at their level, because if they're not doing that, then, and they're too focused on their department, that's detrimental to the company as a whole. Cause you almost end up like siloed. Totally. Different perspectives. And yeah, that's what causes siloing and getting executives straight on that is has been really eye-opening. Like I've watched, it's a, it's like a minute video. I can send it to you, but um, uh, it's like a minute video or maybe three minutes, but it's very, very short. And he just talks really briefly about like this idea of, you know, the fact that there's an executive team and that executive team needs to be on the same page. And like, that's the most important team that you work with when you're an executive. And then departmentally, like as you go out, yes, you could have a little bit more blinders to what's going on in the organization, but the leader of the teams can't only be fighting for their teams. Right. So I, I went through this with one of my clients, like a larger organization, and we, uh, we likened it to like, you know, the coach, if you have like football, are you familiar with football? Yes. Okay. So like you have special teams and you have offense and you have defense, right? And if, if those coaches are only focused on offense, like the offensive coach is only focused on offense, what's going to happen to the game? 
Right. Right. And then the defensive coach is focused on defense. But that's why you kind of have that person that's the head coach that's saying, like, no, we're going to actually bump over to special teams now. We're going to put all our effort into that. And then we're going to do this. If they were only fighting for their little part, the football game would not be fun for anybody, right? Nobody to watch or nobody to play, right? You'd have either these extreme scores or you'd have other issues, right? Right. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't wouldn't all work together. Right. Yeah, great analogy because I think – and it's just cool to kind of wrap your head around how the leaders need to work with other leaders as well. Mm-hmm. I'm almost envisioning this, like, you know, united front of – vision and messaging and whatever. And, and it's clear that obviously all of that stuff, you know, then the whole machine runs more smoothly when, you know, a well-oiled machine and and things like that. Absolutely. So one of the things I I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain on, you came in, I guess last week, Uh last Wednesday. (laughs) And we did a, a strategic planning exercise, a gap exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, where you basically took our whole team and, and did this whole process about where we are, where we want to be, what's it going to take to get there. And then we also dove into core values and philosophies and things like that. And it was just, it was a really powerful day. Yeah. Um, I told you when we were off camera that I've been on an intentional little journey right now with, I'm calling it a, uh, you know, discovery mission, but part of that process has been, I've been having lunches with some of my key team members and picking their brains and, and trying to learn and how I've sort of broken the ice on those conversations is I've been like, what did you think of last Wednesday? Nice. You know, what, what were your thoughts? And that's kind of how I'm cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. It in. yeah. But it's been really interesting to see every single person had the same answer. Really? What was that? Hope. Nice. And what a powerful word, hope. Absolutely. And I felt that in a resounding way too. Like, you had this ability to kind of guide our conversation. And for me, it was really powerful. And and to be totally candid, it reinvigorated me cool. of like, we do have an amazing group of people that are all headed somewhere similar. We don't yeah. have to be exactly the same place, but like, you know, these, these visions of where we're headed were, were aligned. And then through the gap exercise, learning that we can it is possible to get from where we are to where we're going to be. Not to imply, not to say it's going to be easy or right. without a ton right. of work. We have our work cut out for us. That's a whole nother podcast. Absolutely. Probably. Yeah. But hope. And I think that in the corporate world, in the work environment, the idea of hope is never like it, until recently for me, that's never come up, mm-hmm. you know, stress, busy, yeah. burned out, you know, tired, yeah, hungry, like all these things, all these other emotions, I think, come into play with our work lives. And something I'm trying to kind of unpack or wrap my head around, I, I there's the, the, the whole idea behind chasing greatness is this like holistic approach to greatness, yeah. you know, financial health, well-being, relationships, work, all of these things. And for a long time, our careers, I think for a lot of people, are kind of looked at as a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Like, I've got to endure my career so I can have these other components of my life. Yeah, a lot of people live like that. Put in the work and get it done. Yeah. And it just made me think, like, how refreshing this idea of hope could be 
if it's injected into workplaces, because why not? Right. We have hope in every other component of our lives. Yeah. We have, you know, hope for where we're headed here, hope for where we're headed there. But it was the first time, and, and I've been doing this for a long time, that I've seen the idea of hope injected into a professional yeah. you know, work capacity. And I just think that it's, it was refreshing. It's, it's interesting to see, you know, that you were able to do that and kind of like steer us there. In just a few hours. Yeah, right? and just, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, you know, and I think we had great participation, which contributed, you know, it was, yeah. it was, it was a, it was a great day. Um, what's interesting about that is that, um, that's the word that I hear the most when I do that particular exercise. And what you're talking about is like an exercise that I do called the gap exercise. And it's kind of a modified strategic plan, but it's helping you see like clearly what a great future for your company would look like. And then talking about where you are now and then kind of really going over like, what is it that is going to get us there? What do we need to learn? What do we need to unlearn? What do we need to have training on? What do we, what kind of products do we need to offer? What do we need to deliver that we're not delivering now. I mean, it's it's really in-depth to, like, figure out what the gap is and where you need to kind of go through, what you need to go through to get from where you are to where you really want to be. And what's interesting is that that word hope has come up multiple times when Crazy. I've done that particular exercise. When I, like, follow up with somebody and I say, you know, how did that go? Like, it's been a while. Like, what what do you guys think? And, they, and a lot of people have come back and said it gave everybody hope. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of the time companies don't invest in that process, like invest in bringing an outside consultant to come in and help with some team building and going through a process where you're really able to see like where you want to go. And I think a lot of the times like leaders have the vision in their head and they have strategy in their head, but a lot of the time like communicating that outwards is hard. It's very hard. And then I think also it's hard when you work for a leader who can't communicate that well. Um, And so you feel kind of like lost, right? In what do I what am I doing here? Like I just come in here and like for your business it's like I come in here and I, you know, take video and then I edit video. Is very different than I come in here to make like things better and to like build things for people and to help people with their lives and however you want to say it, right? Um and so I there's a component of that where when you can team build and you get input from all the people within your team, or a lot of the time I do that with executive teams, um, they feel like they have say in it and that there's a part, they're contributing to it and that it's not just the leader's, you know, role to do that, but it's, it's everybody's role. And then a lot of the time when we do that exercise, it's really interesting because the leader can look at that information and be like, I did it with a a company here, uh, like a year and a half ago. And the leader was like, holy crap, like that is not what I thought we needed. And he's like, I'm listening to all of my people and I'm seeing that they need something different than what, from my vantage point, I thought we needed, right? Like he was like, I think we need protein. And they're like, I think we need carbs. <laughs> like, you know, like, and and he was like, this has been amazing because I would have kept going down the same trajectory that I was thinking we were being successful and we were, And if we can do all these things too, we can be way more successful, right? And all the people in the room were on the same page and they had all put input into it and and had their voice heard, right? And so when I do that, I try to like make sure I hear from all the people, like the quiet people and make sure I, you know, poke at people that are are giving me answers that we didn't need to do this with your group because they were really engaged. But there's a lot of times where people are like, 
kind of sit back there like my voice isn't heard, so why should I speak? And a lot of the time I can pull some things out of those people with some of my coachy toolkit tricks. And it's really cool to see where it comes. But hope has been a word that I would say of anything that comes from those things, hope has probably been the word that I've heard the most, which is also hard for me to explain when you're when you're trying to like talk about what I, you know, when I'm trying to talk about what I do, it's like I can't promise you that you're gonna have hope, right? I can't tell you like I can say lots of people say they get hope from this, but it really depends on whose ears are hearing that word as to how they process it and what they think that that actually is going to end up looking like. Well, and it's such a strong word. It is. You know, hope. I mean, it, it, I mean, love is definitely probably, you know, the most power, but like Mm -hmm. second only to love probably in terms of powerful powerful. emotions to feel Mm -hmm. and impactful emotions. Yeah. Hope is, you know, I I would argue that the second most powerful emotion (laughs) out there. And it's been cool for me because, you know, I've, I've been, I'm one of the people that if, you know, as you get to know me, it'll probably, maybe it's already clear, but I've been a natural born leader from the moment I was born. Yeah. Like, you know, elementary school group projects. I'm the guy leading the right. project. I, you know, I, the, everything I've been involved in. In fact, I've, I've told my wife so many times that I don't, I, I, there's not in my life, there isn't a single meeting I attend. I lead all of them. Uh-huh. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running the meetings, I'm doing the thing and, and it's exhausting. And a lot of times I, like I find myself leaning into the personality of leadership mm-hmm. because it's what I know, it's who I am. Yeah. Rarely though have I been intentional about, and and luckily I think I have the benefit of by nature I I tend to lead with heart and I mm-hmm. tend to be very empathetic and you know emotional intelligence and whatever which has helped. But what I found was really powerful from the exercise was that it then let me like reframe some of the conversations now to where it's a shared journey Mm. instead of, you know, me pulling everyone with, it's like, we all want to go here. Yeah. How can we get there? That's actually really beautiful. We, not me. To notice that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just been neat how it's like facilitated, you know, these other, these other conversations and kind of opened up the door. And as a leader, it also gave me space to be vulnerable. And to say, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's all brainstorm how we can you yeah. know, get there. And, and so now I've been asking everybody, you know, help me see my blind spots and, you know, help me yeah. with those other perspectives. Um, just today I had a lunch that, and without going into the detail, I had a gut instinct to do something. And through the conversation at lunch, the possibility of doing the exact opposite is actually now on the table. Uh-huh. And it's an interesting thing because then you start to go, ooh, I never thought of it from that perspective, mm-hmm. different levels of blinders on. Yeah. But now that i am got the opportunity to look at it from that perspective, now I'm seeing these other domino effects that might happen from that. And on the surface level, and it's actually, it's, it's, it's conversations I was having with my partner today. Uh-huh. On the surface level, it's going to feel very counterintuitive. Okay. But you got to trust me because I'm seeing these other dominoes that could happen if we do it right. And there's all these parameters around yeah. it. But uh the power of these other perspectives has been really valuable from that exercise mm. as well. Um, but hope. Yeah. So I'm curious because, you know, kind of coming from those ideas of like 
passion, promotion, you know, whatever it might be. Have you found trends in terms of like, you know, we've also talked about how leaders are lonely uh-huh. and it's lonely at the top or whatever. Yeah. I'm just curious from you of like, if you've seen trends or, you know, uh, consistencies in terms of things that leaders struggle with, you know, maybe, maybe let us know, like, we're not alone in it or whatever, yeah. or, you know, helpful insight on like common, common yeah. struggles from, from leadership. Okay. Um, I would say that the, the, the main reasons that people hire me or they come to me for coaching is around work-life balance. So when you're a leader and you have a lot of responsibility, um, we have a tendency to, when you first get into those roles, you have a tendency to want to prove yourself. And so you have a lot of energy for doing a lot of different things. And you're, and you're like, I'm, I'm, I know everything. Like I got to answer all the questions. I got to, I got to be the one who has all the answers. Right. And so they come to me for work-life balance. Um, and they come to me because sometimes that approach of I've got to know everything and I'm proving myself, um, ends up showing up as, I know everything and you guys don't know what you're doing. Mm. I'm the one who has all the information, right? And so then they push themselves back into a corner where, again, the work-life balance gets out of whack because everybody is relying on them for everything, right? So so that's one of the things is like you shouldn't be the one that answers all the questions all the time. You should grow people that can answer all the questions all the time and do things like that. So I would say commonly um, – for leaders, they they come to me just for work life balance. Number one, I think time management is a big issue that people that leaders have. And what I always say is, if you're letting other people manage your time, you're going to have a time management problem. Once you can take back, uh, when, once you can take back that, um, what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? Once you can take that back to yourself and you be in charge of your time management, um, then you you give yourself a lot more latitude in things. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Isn't it funny the, like the, I know it idea and the unintended consequence of that, of Mm -hmm. having everybody come to you then for everything, which as a leader is the last thing you want and probably had, you know, have leaders entered it with the mindset of, I don't know everything, Mm -hmm. you know, in it together, probably would have avoided some of that. Everybody coming to people. Anyway, it's just an, it's yeah. an interesting little microcosm of how there's unintended consequences always for, you know, the, the things yeah. that yeah. we try to do. Yeah. And I just, that's a, a, a very relevant one because, you know, yeah. So I, you kind of back yourself into a corner <laughs> when you, when you want to be the one that knows everything, you, you totally back yourself into a corner. And so a lot of what, a lot of what I work with, um, with leaders is, you know, there's 800 ways to get from point A to point B and your way is not necessarily the right way. Yeah. Like it's a good way and it'll get you there, right? But there's a lot of other ways to do the same thing and you got to be able to let go because what happens to a lot of leaders is they get their hands in everything and then they and then they paint themselves as like irreplaceable or nobody can do anything without me and it's so frustrating and it's like, well, you kind of had a part in that because you, yeah. you basically <laughs> did that to yourself, Right. Um, yeah, so that, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest things I would say work-life balance and time management are the two top things that people come. Another thing that people come to me a lot for, and that I see a lot in my work is you would be 
blown away by how many leaders do not have confidence in what they're doing. Like they are very unsure of the things that they're doing and they don't feel like they are a good leader, even though they are. A lot of the times they struggle with, um, you know, I don't feel like I know how to lead this organization. I don't know how to approach this type of situation. I'm not really comfortable or confident in here. And, you know, we all have this like inner critic part of us. And I think when you rise up to a leadership role that a lot of the time that inner critic is a lot louder than it is when you're in, you know, an individual contributor role and you're just like, you can go to somebody and say, what can I, what should I do? And then when you're a leader, you're, you're like, who do I go to to ask what to do? Right. I don't know. There's nobody. So I'm supposed to know everything. And then they start to doubt themselves and they start to get really concerned that like, I'm not showing up well because everybody can see that I'm doubting myself, which is funny because most of the people around them aren't seeing that, but that's what the fear is. And so you start to almost pull back from the strengths that you have because you have this part of you, this inner critic part of you that's kind of like its job is to keep you safe and small. And so it's like keeping you, you know, backed into a corner and not really doing the things that you know you need to do. And so if if you kind of like listen to that part of you, then you start to back off and you start to retreat and you and you just don't show up in the same way. And it's when you start to develop some bad habits around, you know, not having the one-on-ones you need to have, not having those difficult conversations that you need to have. Um, it's also interesting. I, I get a lot of people that come to me because they're like, I have this person that works for me and, you know, they're not performing. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a management problem, not a, not a, you know, not like, why is that your problem? Right. Like, what aren't you doing? And a lot of the time they're like, wait, oh, well, I don't know. Okay. I guess I haven't been clear. And then it, it turns into like just helping them help coach them to understand like those important conversations are really um, crucial to have quickly and make sure that you're taking care of those issues before they become bigger issues in your organization. That idea of an inner narrative, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the stories we tell ourselves. Yes. Um, and then, you know, you combine that with the reality that so many leaders feel lonely. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because I can totally see, I can totally see how, you know, you're in a leadership role, you have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you're having self-doubt, starting to feel insecure or whatever. Another reality of leadership is that nobody's going to tell you you're doing good. Like none, <laughs> none of your, you know, none of the people that you're leading are going to say, hey, you managed me great today. Like, thank you for that. You know, I, yeah. I really appreciate your leadership. I mean, maybe some excellent leaders somewhere, but rarely yeah. is there that positive, you know, affirmation of like, you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and you carry so much stress and so much burden. And, you know, especially if you're like a business owner slash yeah. leader. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've found myself on many occasions sitting at home thinking like, you know, just, well, the best way I can explain it is feeling incredibly insecure. Yeah. And so I, I can see how there would be a risk for leaders getting into a negative feedback loop Absolutely. where yeah. you are doubting yourself. You don't have anyone to confide in because mm-hmm. you're a leader mm-hmm. and leadership is lonely. Yeah. You also don't have any positive feedback. You know, like even yeah. if you're doing a good job, rarely are people going to tell you about it. Right. What's your advice on leaders, two leaders that are feeling lonely or feeling insecure, 
doubting themselves and are in that scenario I just painted of, yeah. you know, no, no, no other managers at the same level, you know, teams are, are doing whatever. How do you get out of that? Because I could see that becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy if you're not careful, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the, it's all my fault and, and, you know, whatever. And there's gotta be some ways to pull, pull yeah. people out of that. So I, I would love to hear, you know, the, the, the person that's in that scenario, what's your advice to them? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I call it your inner critic. Some people call it your gremlins. Some people call it other names, right? Um, a lot of what I do when I work with people around that is if you can externalize that voice, right? So we think about our thoughts and, and it's like, are we our thoughts or are we the person thinking about our thoughts, right? And we're not our thoughts. But a lot of the time we get confused. And as my mentor, one of my mentors says is like the voice in your head is an asshole, so being able to externalize that. So a lot of the time I'll have my clients give their inner critic a name, right? Like, you know, here's Billy. He's showing up again. And he's telling me how much I suck. And then you can kind of like separate from that a little bit. And so sometimes you can like take that inner critic and set it to the side or tell, you know, tell the inner critic like, hey, thanks for – because what the inner critic's job really is to do is to keep you safe. And they learn things from your growing up. Like they've learned, like if I go ask that girl to dance and she says, no, it's embarrassing and I need to go retreat. Right. And so that's like when I, it equates to in life, like if I go put myself out there and do something that's super uncomfortable to me, I'm going to get a bad result and I'm going to have to retreat. So don't go do the thing that's really hard. Right. That's that. That's what the inner critic is trying to say. And I know you've told your story on the podcast. I've heard of when you were thinking about leaving your corporate job and you were like in ultimate fear. Right. And part of the reason for that is because our inner critic helps us see everything we're going to lose. Right. He's he's very good or they're very good at showing us all the things that we're going to lose. Right. Because we have things and, you know, they they feel like they're like, if I can keep you safe in the job that you're comfortable in and that, you know, then you're not going to lose all the things that you know that you have, right? The problem is the inner critic's not there telling you all that you're going to gain, right? They're only there to tell you how to stay safe. So what I work with a lot is like when that inner critic shows up, to me, that's a sign that you're on the edge of greatness. Because mm. if you can kick that asshole to the curb and you can be like, look, dude, I thank you for showing up. I really appreciate it. Um, and I know that you're trying to keep me safe. And I got this. You can kind of separate yourself from that voice, and then you can proceed ahead, right? And then you get to see the the fruits of your labor, and you get to see what the good is that comes from that. And then you have to be able to. One of the things that we have to do as leaders that we don't do very well is to stop and congratulate ourselves. Like we need that positive reinforcement, and we're not getting it externally usually. And so we need to learn how to be like, oh, man, I just closed that deal. I kick ass and I'm good at what I do to give yourself some of the same words like back that you would want from other people. You have to start to kind of learn to do that yourself. Part of, um, you know, I'm I'm certified with emotional intelligence, like a specific uh, assessment that we do. And one of those is what we call self-regard, which is can I love myself warts and all? So it's like, I know I have deficiencies. I know I'm not perfect, but can I still keep doing the things that I that I love doing? And can I love myself knowing that I'm not perfect? Because nobody's perfect, right? And so embracing the sides of you and like and and understanding which part of that is real and which part of that is your inner critic. Um, and being able to like, like I said, like kick the inner critic to the curb, 
after thanking them for showing up, like you don't want to, you don't want to just kick them to the curb because that's not really the, the intent. The intent of them showing up is to try to keep you safe and small. And when you're ready to be big and you know that you can take care of yourself, just having that little conversation. So that externalization of that voice is, is a really important component, I think. And then also understanding that you have the opposite of that, which is like an inner mentor that you have inside of you. And and I do some exercises with clients on this as well, where, you know, look at yourself. It's kind of like the gap exercise that we did, right? Like look at yourself in 20 years, like everything's gone perfectly. You did this, this, like this whole company kicked ass, all your goals you reached and all that. Like, what is that guy 20 years down the road telling you about this situation right now? Right? Like, what's that guy saying about like, like, for instance, when you were wanting to leave your corporate job, like, you know, doing a visualization of like, here's Ben 20 years down the road when he kicked ass, he had a, a digital marketing agency and it was like the best thing ever. And he had all these clients and sold all these things and all everything that I wanted to have happened, happened. What's that guy say about you leaving your job? You know, and I, I would assume, I mean, if I, if I asked you that, like, what would that guy say? Right. Would you be able to tell me what that guy would say? He'd be pretty proud. Yeah. Yeah. And he would be like don't worry about it. Like you'll figure it out. Right. Or something along those lines. So sometimes it's that, um, there's a lot around mindfulness that I like to do with leaders because, um, those, that fear and doubt creeps in and that, and those lonely feelings like come in when there's some external, like some stresses that come in that can perpetuate those things. And so being grounded and mindful of your space and what's around you having practices like what you do when you run. I mean, that's a methodical like, you know, when you're running and it actually like calms your nervous system to do that kind of stuff. I think I think as leaders that are very stressed out or have a lot on their plates, you need to have some sort of practice for yourself where you're you're really being mindful of taking care of your body and mindful of the time and what you're allowing your, you to tell yourself, yeah. like that voice in your head to tell you as opposed to what's real. And I think when you get too stressed out, it's too easy to listen to that person that's telling you you're an imposter or that's telling you that you suck or that's telling you that if you take that risk that you're going to lose everything as opposed to when you're centered and you are like you can take some deep breaths and really think about what's going on and talk to yourself like there's different parts of me, right? Like you can you can really like think about it. Um, and you kind of end up coaching yourself I, through things. I saw a, a few responses to that, but I saw a, a quote the other day that just resonated with me in a huge way. And it's the reality is, is that our mind is part of our body. Mm-hmm. And you cannot work on one without working on the other. That's absolutely true. And, and it's like they're they're literally connected. Yeah. Um, and if if you had any idea of the problems that I have solved on runs, yeah. it, you know, to the point where I've started literally, it's scheduled in and mm-hmm. it's non-negotiable, and it's part of me being an effective leader, absolutely, and business owner. That's another is, thing I work with people on running. all the time: is schedule time for yourself to go do something that you love. Or, I mean, a lot of the time it starts with like schedule a 15-minute walk because that time that you schedule for yourself that you can go for a walk, that's when the magic, like that's when crazy shit comes to your head. If you don't quiet all the noise and give yourself that space, like you can't be strategic. You can't think of the next thing. You can't be innovative. And what happens is as leaders, we start to just busy ourselves so much that we're like meeting, 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 meeting. I'm going to go to a lunch meeting and then I'm going to go have coffee and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And then I don't have time. And then there's all these fires that come to me every day. And my door is, I know I have the open door policy so anyone can come talk to me at any time. 
And then everybody else else leaves, and I'm like, shit, I got like all this stuff to 300 do. 300 emails and two to, voicemails. and Right, to get through. And so they don't like prioritize. And so a lot of the time it's working on getting their schedule to a point where they have blocks of time, you know, starting with 15 minutes and then moving up to half an hour and then moving up to an hour. And a lot of people, I have one client I, I in Denver. I have 90 minutes a day blocked off. That is awesome. I have one client in Denver who worked so hard just to get, to be able to go to the climbing gym, you know, to be able to like do that. And she said she would sit in the climbing gym and she'd be like, I just look around and I'm like, why, how are all these people here? It's like the middle of the day. Aren't there things to do? And she's like, I feel guilty for being here. And it's like, we had to work on that for a long, long, long time, you know, to get her to a point where she was like, oh, I can go to the climbing gym and feel good. Shout out. She knows who she is. And she's listening, right? <laughs> um, and and then it's the cycle starts again, right? And then all of a sudden there's no time to go to the climbing gym again and that. So scheduling yourself 90 minutes is a, is a really important piece. And leaders always argue, like they, they argue with me about this. And it's not like I tell them they have to do it, but we talk through it and they figure out kind of a, a lot of the times they'll figure out that they need to do it. Um, but they But they fight it. And they're like, but then everybody's going to think that I'm like being lazy or they're going to think that I'm not working as hard as they are. And it's like, you know what? You're When you're a leader, you're thinking about so many things that other people couldn't even possibly think about thinking about, right? Because you, your purview is just so much wider. And, you're, and in order to lead the company places, you have to have that time to think strategically and you have to build that into who you are. Um, and it's not selfish. It's it's necessary and it's needed in order to be a good leader. Self-care is a discipline. Yeah. Not a luxury. Yeah. And I loved, so coming back, you know, I, I kind of painted that picture of, you know, the leader in desperation. Uh-huh. I want everybody listening to remember what Susie just said, <laughs> that those are usually the moments when you're on the edge of greatness. Yeah. Uh, how powerful is that? And what a great way to frame... You know, when you're struggling and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling insecure, you're about to have a breakthrough. Yeah. Like those are good feelings because it means your care, it means you're you're invested, you're putting the effort in, you know, to solve the problem that's at hand or whatever. It's so interesting. The timing is is like wild. I without sharing any details, but I personally, as a leader, have been in one of my lowest lows the last mm. little while, feeling insecure, feeling lonely, mm-hmm. like, like it, literally like having my feelings hurt. Like I'm talking yeah. like, yeah. you know, feeling, which is normal. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I'm a human too. Yeah. Um, and today I had clarity again Cool. and it was so powerful. And, and what's been cool is that, it, and, and I'm, the re- only reason I'm bringing that up is to reaffirm your statement that when you are in those lonely, low moments, mm-hmm. that that means you're about to have a breakthrough because it also means you're outside of your comfort zone, yeah. which there's a whole, you know, all sorts of validity to, to the benefits of, of getting out of our comfort zone. Yeah. But I just want everyone to know I've seen it in practice and I experienced it today. today. And what was cool for me is because I saw it in a bigger way than I've seen before. I, I, I today was able to look at my entire company and see four meaningful changes that can happen that have to happen in order and with intentionality and it's not going to happen overnight. But once it does, the impact is going to be significant. Yeah. And and it's like, oh, you know. That must have felt like, really good. You know, thank goodness. I, yeah. I And I, I had to put a lot of work into getting there. I've, I've had to have several conversations and, you know, dive in on that. But uh, 
I, I want everyone listening to remember what you just said, okay. that when you're at those, those moments, you're on the verge of, of a breakthrough because it gives you hope. Yeah. You know, it gives you, it gives you a reason to, to keep going. Yeah. There's I, one other thing I want to say about that too. Um, I think that when you say it's lonely at the top, it can be very lonely at the top. One of the, one of the attributes of the most successful leaders in the world is their ability to connect with others and have connection. And I think some of the time what leaders believe that is, is having this open door policy where people can come talk to you and they, they have open ears and they listen a lot. And I think that's great, but it also has to be balanced out. Like if you can't be the person that can be a little bit vulnerable sometimes and be like, wow, you know, I'm feeling really overwhelmed today. You know, I've got a lot on my plate and be honest about that with people around you or share something personally about you. Um, when it get when that gets uh, off balance, right, where you're always listening but you're never contributing, it doesn't really grow a relationship. It grows kind of a one-sided, very lopsided relationship. And so people might be like, yeah, you know, my leader is really cool. He listens to everything I have to say. Um, but there's that will only go so far, yeah. right? So you have to be intentional about – sharing some things, right? You don't have to share everything and you don't have to make people feel bad for you because you're like, you know, my life is terrible or whatever. But like part of that is this this like appropriate opening up, right? Because the ability to connect with people and have empathy and, and be um, open and real makes you so much better of a leader, right? Um, if you're not that way, you, you tend to start being more secluded and more isolated from the people around you because you're like holding all the burden. You're holding the burden of the, of the work. You're holding the burden of the company. You're holding the burden of all these things. And you're not releasing anything back into that space. And so it's very lopsided. And I think a lot of managers and, and leaders don't seem to understand. That's, that's not a nice way to say it. They don't understand, I guess. Um, they feel like they need to hold that all. And it becomes way too heavy of a burden. And then that's when a lot of that self-doubt comes in because they're like, I can't do this anymore. I feel like a robot. Like I'm not real. Like I'm holding all of this and I have no release for it. And so I think it's important as leaders that we understand that that building connection requires us to have some vulnerability yeah. as well. And you can't, you can't expect all the people around you to come to you and, oh, tell me all your woes and I'm going to help you and I'm going to be here for you. And all of a sudden you're holding well, all I'm of perfect. this. Yeah, but I have nothing to share back. And so there has to be some reciprocation. I know some of the most powerful moments specifically at, at SCA um, when I worked there were when one of the owners would get up at the Christmas party and he always felt like this intense gratitude for everybody that was there. But I think sometime when he would share about the state of the company and things like that, like he actually would sometimes get teary-eyed. And, and every time everyone was like, that was the most awesome meeting. Like we really understand now. Like we really get it. And we and and he's a real person. Like we can really like see that he has real emotions and is real. And I think when you try to lead from this place of like I'm untouchable and nobody's you know, a lot of people do this, right? I'm untouchable. I have all the answers. Come to me with all your problems and I'll help you solve them, you know, and that kind of thing. You don't build up any kind of bank for for that re reciprocity. And then you end up like carrying that all, which is which is a very hard burden to hold. And it's and it's really heavy and it's hard to, to have that. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, permission to be real. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. be... be 
if you can get to the point as a leader that you're confident enough in yourself mm-hmm. to be vulnerable yeah. and to be authentic, not only will it not inhibit your ability to lead, it will enhance it. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. But and uh, yeah. And you'll be able to connect with people on a more meaningful level and, you know, steer and lead. Mm-hmm. I, I and I love that because, you know, part of part of my clarity today actually has been realizing some opportunities where we need other leaders, you know, and 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 where people are set up for success with a little bit of tweaking to, you know, to be leaders and things like that. Yeah. And so it's cool because it kind of is almost like this opportunity now to set other people up for success through your leadership. Yeah. And that's your job, right? Yeah. You to know, make and, other people successful. And, and empower yeah. them and train yeah. them and and you know get fulfillment in that way. Because I think so many times, you know, we end up we're looking at the PL. Yeah. We're looking at the balance sheet and like, you know, we're we're, you know, measuring ourselves on that where there's totally. so many other meaningful ways mm-hmm. to make an impact. Um, so I love that, that, that idea of like permission to be real, permission to, you know, be vulnerable and, and authentic. Um, do you find, where's that line though? Like I would imagine, for example, this loneliness idea Mm -hmm. and connection and and things like that. I've had a few instances and and they're, they're very positive and and intentional where I've been like, I should probably dip out of this now, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, at the end of the party, or, you know, the Christmas party, I should be the first to leave so that the team can have some time without me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the team building event, I'm, you know, I, I'll, I'll facilitate it, I'll be there, I'll pay for dinner, and then I'll yeah. you know, dip out or whatever. Um, because I think sometimes that balance of, like, connection, but then also setting others up for success, mm-hmm. like, purposefully trying to make it not about you, yeah. you know, is... And so I'm just kind of curious, like... Or guidance for for other leaders on, you know, you should probably be vulnerable here. You probably shouldn't be here or like lean into the loneliness here because that's your job, you know, to now let everybody else kind of thrive, thrive without you. What are your thoughts on, 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 you know, kind of that intentional sometimes like I, I'm going to dip out. Yeah. I get what you're saying, and I think that's important sometimes because you want the people within your organization to have their own relationships, and you don't always want to be kind of that linchpin that holds everything together. Like you, you need to know that they can sustain and that they're that they like each other and that things like that are going on. Um, I think that what you're touching on a little bit, and maybe um, you'll have to let me know if the, if I'm going in the wrong direction, but. A lot of the time we say that it's really good for leaders to be emotionally intelligent, and I think that a lot of leaders um, sometimes they don't understand exactly what that means. There's a lot of components to emotional intelligence and empathy is one of them. Um, and, and being real doesn't mean like, you know, when you're pissed off, you can run around slamming doors and, and slamming your hand on the table, right? So I think part of of being vulnerable and open is being real, like expressing how you're feeling in certain circumstances. But we distinguish between like, it's okay to be mad. It's not okay to go around slamming doors. And I think a lot of leaders feel like this is my place and I'm pissed and I can do whatever I want to do. And they're like slamming their hand on the table or slamming the door, right? And that's just one example. That's not effective? <laughs> not usually. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what? It's actually, it is I have actually, no doors. <laughs> yeah, there's no doors in here. It actually is effective temporarily, right? 
If you slam a door and you're pissed off because somebody did something, they're probably not going to do that again right away. And they're going to be like, oh, shit, I, I screwed that up, right? But it's not, gonna, it's not a long-term like, strategy that works for, for leading people, right? It's like the I'm going to win and you're going to lose is what ends up showing up when you do that, right? I, I'm, I'm the leader and I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to win no matter what and you're going to lose because I'm going to tell you what to do. It's like when you it's like when your kids have shoes that are laying outside and you could be like get your damn shoes and put them in your room right now. Or you could be like, "You know what? Um when you have a minute, can you take your shoes into your room, right?" And so as a leader, you can do that. Then if it happens 57 times, you say to your kid, you're like, "You know, I'm really disappointed. Like I have I've asked you several times to do that." Telling them you're disappointed is the emotional intelligent way to you know, let them know that it's affecting you now that their shoes are out or that you have a feeling about what's been going on. And it's the same in the workplace. So if you're the leader that's like, God damn people, this, that, you know, whatever, and screaming all the time, like it works and they're like, they're going to pick up their shoes, but like they're probably not going to stick around to, p- to be there to pick up their shoes in a couple months or right. a couple years, right? And so it's – so. That vulnerability piece is the same thing with like it's like being scared of what the, where the PNL is. Like it might be okay to say like, "Hey, we're really tight on cash, and I'm a little concerned about what's going on." Instead of like every month being like, "Oh my God, it's the end of the month, and we don't have any money again," you know. So I mean, it's 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 being real and like, but it's being real in an emotionally intelligent way where like I can express what I'm feeling in a in a controlled and like in a in a way that works. And if I do have a moment where I lose my shit or I slam a door or something, then you go back and you do the repair of like, hey, you know, I I kind of got pissed off at that client and probably didn't react in the best way possible. So you're modeling good behavior. You're modeling emotional and being emotionally intelligent in those moments when you're doing that. And I think, you know, emotional intelligence has all these different components to it. There's an interpersonal community. There's an, there's a, piece of it of like, how do I recognize what's going on inside of my own body? Like, what am I feeling right now? What's the emotion that I'm feeling right now, right? And then there's a piece of it that's like, how am I expressing that outside of myself, right? How am I letting people know that I'm feeling this way? And you kind of can determine like, if I know I'm feeling this way and then I express it, what's a what's a productive way to express it? Then there's an interpersonal component. So you you invite someone else to be in that space. And then it's like, how do we communicate together, in, in an emotionally intelligent way. Then you add in, I always say you add in like things that are inside of your control. So like decision-making, problem-solving, that kind of stuff is part of emotional intelligence. And then you add in things that are outside of your control. So like that's where they measure, you know, optimism and things like that. Like I don't know what's going on in the world, but I think it's going to be better tomorrow, right? So and each of those components of emotional intelligence can be overused or underused. So for instance, optimism, if you're if you overuse it, you're you're too like Pollyanna, right? You're too much like everything's going to be okay. We don't need to worry about anything. And people that are following a leader that are Pollyanna know they're full of shit just as like they know, you know what I mean? They know that when they see that side of somebody too, right? as opposed to, you know, they see somebody that's pessimistic all the time. They're like, oh God, here we go again. You know, Ben's pissed again because that happened and he thinks it's the end of the world, right? So there's a middle space in all of these different components that you're trying to get to. And they've shown in a lot of different studies and things that they've done that if you are kind of riding that bell curve, that middle space, uh, um, that, that people follow you more and that you're a better leader. So authenticity authenticity vulnerability yeah yeah because it's uh 
Well, and I've just a quick anecdote, but you mentioned like, you know, the P and L or like, oh, we need, yeah. I, uh, I do, I do the check dance. Okay. So <laughs> when you I, get a check in, I, I tell everybody I'm checking for checks and I yeah. go out to the mail and if there is some, I do the little happy check dance, like, yeah. you know, going to make payroll and it, you know, but it's pretty light, but it's also yeah. like letting them know, like I genuinely actively check the mailbox for checks. Like, yeah. that's just, you know, part of part of the process. Yeah. Um, and including them in the fun. I mean, that's that's being just as real and authentic as the guy that slams his hand down on the table or gets really angry about something. It's the other side of it. And I think it's just as important for people to see a leader being excited and goofy and silly and fun as it is for them to have the other side emotions that are that are not as fun. Like, man, sometimes business ownership freaking sucks. And letting them see that that's like, I'm a whole person and I, and I have the the things inside of me that go well and I also have the things just like you do inside of you that don't go as well. Yeah. And and we're all people and we're all in a shared experience. Yeah, and I think, you know, coming back to that idea of like permission to be real or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um as leaders understanding that sometimes when we make mistakes, they're great opportunities to actually forge stronger relationships. Totally. Just yeah. recently, I sent an email and the second I hit send, I knew I shouldn't. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I mean, I'm talking like, oh, shit. I should not have sent that. And yeah. it blew up in my face, as it should have, mm-hmm. because I made enormous mistakes. Yeah. Um, I was I, – I said terrible things, and I was awful, and, you know, I did it. Yeah. Um, but it and, – and while I regret it, you know, I shouldn't have made the mistake that I made, it definitely facilitated more in-depth conversations and opened eyes and – perspectives on larger problems that need to be solved. Yeah. So there's like silver lining on it. You know, yep. I'm not proud of my behavior, but I was, in, I owned it. I was incredibly apologetic. You know, I, I drove out of my way to apologize in person, even like, wow. I, I, yeah. you know, I, I messed up. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that kind of, uh, you know, reaffirms that idea of being, of permission, permission to be real. To and be that real. we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, you don't know, have all the answers as leaders. Like there, there, right. there's so many unknowns and you're human too. And you're going to feel all the feels and you're going to have good days and bad days and, so true. and things like that. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, cause that theme of like loneliness and imposter syndrome and self-doubt and all that stuff. And we kind of talked about the fact that there's never overt positive, you know, nobody's going to say, Hey, good job today. I would uh, challenge you on that because I think you can create a culture of feedback where you do give positive feedback. Certainly. And it creates that. But yeah, it's, no, it's I, few and far between. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, all I'm saying is is that rarely those that you will lead will go out of your way to tell you that, you know. Yeah. That, anyway. You did great on that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah it doesn't good, happen no, very often. No one pats my back. <laughs> right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, there's a, so what I'm curious about is I would assume, though, that there are indicators of success – that maybe leaders could start to be aware of to help with that positive affirmation. Because knowing that no one's going to come over and say, hey, Ben, good job today, Pat, on the back. What are the other things leaders can look to for insight as to if they're, you know, if they're being successful? Like what, there's got to be some like indicators of success that people can observe in their departments or their businesses or their organizations or whatever to kind of help them, you know, gauge it. Yeah. I think it's very individualized. And I think that um, with a lot of my clients, sometimes we'll start 
lists or like have, we'll keep track of like evidence of the success of what we're doing. And so that they can look back and see that there's evidence to, to the contrary of what that inner critic's always saying, right? And so it is a balance and you, and you have to understand that, like I said, the inner critic's there to keep you safe, but, the, but part of what you need to do to build that, it's like building your muscle, right, is to stop when you have a win and congratulate yourself and, and acknowledge that. Because I think what, what happens is like we think of like wins or like I got a big client or whatever, like woohoo, that's great. And then you go about your business. Whereas then – and then you start to feel like I never get clients and then that takes the, over the narrative, right? And so it's like keeping some sort of way for you to understand the successes that you've had and be able to look back. It, it's human nature for us. We don't we're, – we're wired to resist change. We're wired to resist like um, – you know, we're wired to look for deficiencies and like the negative things, right? Like that's different in the grass over there. So therefore there's, it's a, it's something bad. Like I have to be aware of it, right? Danger, danger, danger. And so that's kind of what, what we're doing when we go about our lives and just like, like when we're going through the woods and there's nothing that stands out in the day, we're just kind of going about our day. And I think in order to kind of combat that inner critic and be able to start to have something to fall back on in those moments of loneliness is to be able to really keep track of the wins that you have and like stop in the moment and actually do something. Like I make clients a lot of the time, they'll go, oh yeah, I got this, you know, bazillion dollar deal. And and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Stop, stop, stop. I'm like, we're going to have a little party, right? I want you to like pat yourself on the back and like, that's awesome. Like you did what you said you were going to do. You made that happen. Like acknowledge and like appreciate yourself for that. And I think a lot of the time, you know, entrepreneurs and, and leaders, they don't want to spend time doing that. They're like, this is ridiculous. You know, like, this is part of what I'm supposed to be doing. And so they don't think about those things. And so I guess one tool you could use in that situation is to really stop when you have a big win and think about it and, like, really think about, like, okay, I did that. Like, that was me. And actually take that you know, ownership of that for yourself so that you can kind of lift yourself up a little. I think we have to have reserves so that when our inner critic comes and tries to like knock us down, that we don't get knocked down too far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love it because it's just like anything in life, you know, our perspectives matter and what Mm -hmm. what we focus on is magnified and, you know, intentionally letting yourself focus on your wins and like having that positive perspective of, you know, it's not all good. It's not all bad. There are a lot of, you know, wins and things like that. Yeah. Even that is powerful enough to know, like, y- you can pull out the good things from internally, yeah. which I think is is incredibly, yeah. incredibly powerful. One of my sayings that it's like my favorite saying, and I have it on a plaque like in my office, is trust the process. And so a lot of the time when I'm feeling that way or I'm feeling like, you know, I didn't get a client that I was hoping would want to work with me or, you know, I'm feeling like, you know, I don't know, something's going on inside of me that makes me feel like I'm not doing as well. I really, I really have that mantra of like, trust the process because we don't know why things are happening the way that they do, right? Like maybe you didn't get a, get that client because you were supposed to get one that was a lot bigger and you just didn't know that like, if you would have that, that other client, you wouldn't have had time in your calendar to do that. Right. And so a lot of the time with leaders, we talk about, you know, that there's no problems, there's only opportunities, and so it's a it's a way of looking at things and being able to say like 
it's not all bad that this is happening or it's not all bad that I'm feeling this way. Like what's the loneliness teaching you right now? Or what, what is, what are you telling yourself in this moment? And sometimes it's something very profound. Like I think I'm telling myself I need a freaking break or, you know, I need to take care of myself right now, or I've put too much into all of the external things this week. And I really need to like retreat and take care of myself. So paying attention to what's going on. I think, I think that inner critic shows up, um, in a lot of times where you're you're feeling like negative or like not happy about what's going on, but I think there's also purpose in that. Like it allows us to protect ourselves a little bit and to not keep going down bad rabbit holes and things like that sometimes. So I think you have to. There has to be a balance, and you just have to understand. There's a lot of people who who are able to see the good in any situation that that comes about, and I do believe that there's a process that's happening around us that we don't have control over. Some people call it the universe. Some people call it God. Some people call it, you know, that that they believe in some higher power, <clears throat> excuse me, of some sort. Um, for me, I just feel like we don't know what the next domino is, or we don't know what the next step is sometimes, and so we have we have to just trust that what's happening is supposed to be what's happening for us. You sent that, you know, you push send on the email and at the moment you were like, oh shit, I screwed that up. But in reality, like when you look back on it, there was probably a lot of good that happened from that or residually there, there will be good because you, people in the office that knew that it happened learned from you, learned that you were a human being and all that. So like, you don't want to really take back anything bad that's happened because you wouldn't be where you are today if it was, if you did. Right. But but trusting the process and really looking for the opportunities, it's like the whole making lemonade out of lemons, right? That's what a lot of really good leaders are able to do that. Yeah, I love it. And yeah. uh, just uh, the trust the process is so funny because literally yesterday on the phone, I told you I just want perfection yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate the, uh, you know, the perspective of yeah. trusting the process. And um, Susie, thank you so much yeah. for such a great conversation. I love um, being here. It was nice. Yeah. But thank you more so for being who you are. Um, I, 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 I think you know it, but I hope you know how impactful the work you do is. Um, you know, to reiterate, you've injected hope mm. in, in my business and, you know, in, in so many places, which is profound and Thank powerful. Um, and I just, I'm glad to know you and I'm, I'm grateful for what you do. I have a, uh, the feeling is mutual. I have an, oh, ins- I get my t-shirt. I have an inspire by example shirt <laughs> for you. I can't wait to wear this around town because you sincerely be are inspiring by example. Thank and you. for somebody to have the skill set and the desire to inject hope places is alone powerful enough. Yeah. Not to mention all of the other amazing things that you do. <laughs> so thanks for letting me pick your brain. Yeah. I thanks feel so lucky. I feel so lucky because like you, like I'm living my dream. Like I get to do the thing that makes me happy every day. Like what you said, when you, if you were to write down what I want to be, what I want to do and what I want to have, you are that. And that, and that's what I am too. And so I feel like a lot of the time when I'm doing work, I'm actually like, I, f- I feel like I'm the one who like is winning, yeah. right? It, so it's it's very much, uh, and and I appreciate all the kind things that you're saying, and, and I'm happy to know you too, and I'm very thankful that you had me here on your podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks.